Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. This morning we'll be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be in uh, verses 25 through the end of chapter 1 there. We're continuing our series called Saints in Society, and we're looking at what it looks like for us in the 21st century to live as saints in society. And so Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, who, and he addressed them as saints, not just singular, but plural, as saints together, and then is talking to them about what it looks like to live out of that identity in their society, inside of their culture. And so as Christians, we want to uh, be people that meet culture in their terms, but not on their terms. And so what we want to do is we want to be involved in culture, and, and, and we want to be involved in society, but we don't meet society and culture on their terms. Uh, and, and so we're looking in the letter of Corinthians to see how Paul addresses that and what that looks like. Today, we're going to be talking through the subject of pride. And so I'm not a master of this. I'm not writing books on parenting because I'm fumbling my way through that. I'm not writing my, any books on marriage because I'm fumbling my way through that. And I'm definitely not writing any books on pride because I'm fumbling my way through that. I've not figured that one out. So I, I'm, I, the only way that I can stand and preach on pride is to preach what the Word of God says about pride, not what this young man standing up here has to say about what it looks like to be truly humble. With that, let's pray. Let's dive into the Word. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you that we're alive. Thank you that we're here, and we thank you that we have a God who speaks and that you speak to us through your word. We thank you that your word is living. We praise you that we're not uh, left trying to figure out what truth is, but Father, you've revealed truth to us through your word. And we thank you for that. Father, we confess, I confess the pride of my own heart, the pride of power, the pride of recognition, the pride of wanting glory. And so I confess that I'm preaching with, as someone who struggles with that pride, so I'm asking for the help of the Spirit, for your grace in that. And Father, I pray that you would teach us this morning, you would convict us this morning, you would speak to us this morning, but you would encourage us through the gospel this morning. So please calm and quiet our souls. I know with everything going on, it's, it, it's, it's crazy and hectic uh, on Sunday mornings. And so Father, remove distractions and through your Spirit, speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This morning, we're going to be talking about pride. And here's the reality. I don't know if you've spent much time around people that boast, but that talk about themselves a lot, but it's really exhausting. And if you know someone like that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It just kind of takes it out of you. 
to sit around people that just talk about themselves a ton. Imagine if I spent the first 20 minutes up here just telling you guys about myself, a bunch of my accomplishments and stuff like that. I would hope that most of you would just walk out, honestly. But I've sat in conversations with people, even at coffee and stuff like that, where in all reality, they spent the majority of the time just talking about themselves. And as one author says, Alexander Strzok, that, that typically boasting is, is, is the sign of some sort of bankruptcy that exists inside someone's life. Your need to boast and boast in yourself is, is an area you're trying to cover up where you're probably bankrupt in some other area. Found that to be true. Years ago, I, I, I lived in Susanville, California. If you guys don't know where that's at, that's, praise God, <laughs> quite literally for you guys. And I lived there in, in a house with like 20 other guys, and, and it was a fighter's house. And we would get fighters that would come in from all over the, the nation and come into the house, and, and they would try out to be on a team, and, and that was like their, their end goal. And you could always tell the people, <laughs> you could always tell the people that just weren't going to last. Because it was typically the people that spent all the time talking about themselves up front. And I remember this one guy came in from over on the East Coast, and, and like his first night there, he just talked, uh, I mean, talked and talked and talked and talked and talked about himself. He lasted 48 hours. His nickname was Sausage. Because Sausage cooked breakfast, ate I felt like the majority of what he cooked for everyone else, and then set out on a five-mile run, which we did in the mornings, at like a prefontaine pace for the first mile. And the only thing we saw when we passed him was sausage just coming out. <laughs> sausage lasted like another 24 hours before he called a cab to get him out of there. <clears throat> That's the comp my dad told me this growing up, that typically the people that you don't have to worry about are the people that talk and boast the most about themselves. And that was the case for him. That's been the case that I've seen for so many people, is your boasting and bragging and all this pride is, 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 is in some way to guard and protect yourself from really what's going on and letting people get to know you. Done that? I think we've all done that. So before we dive into that and dive how the Word of God addresses that, let's just give a quick background to where we're at in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter, and it's called an occasional letter, and it's a letter that Paul has written to a church that is in the city of Corinth. Uh, Corinth was notorious for their wayward living. And so Paul is writing to them and addressing things that he has been told from people. And so it's, it, it's a response. Hey, I've heard this. This is going on. Let me address these things. To be honest, it's a little bit difficult to get a big picture of what's going on in Corinth the way that we're working through it. So when they would have received this letter, they likely would have just read it from beginning to end in one setting. Someone who could read would have read it over them and they would have listened to the whole thing. We are diving in and putting it under a microscope. But just to give a big picture of what's going on, is that right now we're, we're, we're in chapters 1 through 4 where we're addressing unity. And that's what Paul chooses to address, uh, address first, is unity inside of the church. So he's addressing division. And, and ultimately what he's showing in the first four chapters is that, uh, is that the church needs unity, but unity is not about agreeing on sleep training methods for babies. It is not agreeing on vaccines. It is not agreeing on all the little stuff. It is not agreeing on eschatology. It is not agreeing on all these secondary issues, whether the church should have seats or pews and all this. It's agreeing on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross. That's what drives unity. And so that's what he's trying to say. That's where we're at in chapters 1 through 4, is that is Paul's argument, is the church needs to be unified around the message of the cross and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
What else is going on is this. is Paul's calling them to remember their new identity. You see, in Christ, we're no longer sinners. Yes, we struggle with sin, but that's not who we are. We're saints, which means set apart and holy. And so Paul is saying, live out of this new identity. Don't live out of your old identity as a sinner. Live out of this new identity as a saint. What's going on in Corinth is what we'll see is they were choosing to, to believe that they were still sinners and reflect that identity instead of saints and live out of that identity. And so it was hard to determine who was a Christian and who was not based upon the way they were living their lives. And instead of them impacting the city of Corinth, Corinth was impacting them instead. So this is what Paul's addressing. This is what's going on. This is where we are picking up. And what Paul has been addressing even over the, the past couple weeks we've looked at is there's just pride that exists and a lot of it's tied to who they know. So a little bit of name dropping. And here's the reality of, of, of how that comes out inside of the church today. Is if you forget for a second how you got into the family of God and what is keeping you in the family of God and what will keep you into the family of God, grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, then what the result of anything else becomes is pride. So the moment that we forget that the only reason I and all of us are Christians is only by the grace of God, only through faith in Jesus Christ and what He's accomplished, that's it. But the church can become a great place to hide. We can do all sorts of stuff. We can look pretty. We can say the right things. We can cover up stuff with a lot of Christianese and a lot of Christian lingo and stuff like that. But we can start to forget how we got here and what's keeping us here and what will keep us here till the end. And so I'll say this. Today's main point is the saints boast in the Lord. The saints boast in the Lord. The saints boast in the Lord. That's the main point of what we're looking at today. Christianity became a popular way for people to now be known. You see, the, 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 the Corinthians and the people of Corinth, not the church, they loved to attach themselves to brilliant philosophers, and now the Christians could do the same thing. They're like, oh, I know Apollos. Oh, I know Paul. I'm, I'm boys with Paul. I know Peter. And so now they get this whole, I get to be known too. Like all the Corinthians who attach themselves to philosophers, now I have someone I can attach myself to. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. What you're attached to is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 25. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. When, when Scripture uses language like this that makes you uncomfortable, which it should, or uneasy, know that the author is being purposeful. And he's purposely trying to say something here that makes you go, oh, I don't, can, could he, can he say that? Should Paul say that? For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Could we say that God is foolish at all? Could we say that God is weak at all? Absolutely not. But Paul is calling you here to actually look at this verse and consider this verse and take in what is going on. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Simply put, what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, and we're going to see this in a minute, there's, there's, there's three, uh, three things that people primarily boast in or that are boasting in, in Corinth that Paul is, is addressing. And it's wisdom, it's power, and it's nobility. And Paul is saying this in verse 25, hey, in your quest for power, in your quest for nobility, in your quest to be known for power, don't stop in the quest for power. And don't stop in your quest for wisdom short 
of the infinite, all-powerful, and all-knowing God. You see, there, there, there isn't any foolishness on God's part. In fact, if you added up every single mind in all of human history and combine them all, we would say that all those minds combined are not even a speck of the wisdom of God. We would say that if you combined it, combine all the strength in, 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 in all of human history combined, we would say it's not even a speck in regard to God who is infinitely strong and infinitely powerful. And you see the argument from man goes like this, oh yeah, well, well man created an airplane. And, and what we would say is, yeah, and God created the earth that it, that, that it takes off on in the skies that it flies in. You would say, well, man created a spaceship. And we would say, yeah, and God created the universe that that spaceship will never see and fully behold. You say, well, man is creating cures to diseases. And we would say, God created the ultimate cure to the ultimate disease that separates us from him, our sin, through Jesus Christ. And what Paul is just simply saying is, hey, what's, what's, what the world deems as foolish again, what, what the world deems as weakness, just know that whatever that is, it's still infinitely stronger than whatever you think is wise and whatever you think is powerful. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. I love this. What Paul is doing here is what our community and what we need to do for one another. Paul is, is graciously, but also in a sobering way, reminding them of who they are and where they came from. For consider your calling, brothers. So he uses this language of brothers, of kinship, of family. And then he's going to exhort them. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you, not many were of noble birth. What's going on? Oftentimes what we choose to do is align ourselves with our identity of being wise, of being powerful, or being of noble birth. For wisdom, it could look like that you uh, find your pride and what you boast in is your education, your GPA, or that you're smarter or more knowledgeable than others, that you are a good thinker, you are an objective thinker, you are just a good, wise navigator through life. But then for those that are more powerful and you boast in your power, what you're boasting in is your accomplishments, your money, your success, the social class you're in, how gifted you are, the things that you can perform and do, and those are the people that boast in their own power. For those that boast in nobility, what it is is it's actually, it's actually linking yourself to your family origin. And so when, when it says this, not many were, were uh, at the end of verse 26, not many were of noble birth. Why is that such a big deal? Because in this culture, your family was your identity. And so what your family did, that's normally the trade that you picked up. And so what you did is you typically align yourself and found your identity in your family. And in all reality, Christians nowadays do this. Maybe it's not as big in the Pacific Northwest, but down south, it's, it's, it's common that that people say, well, I'm a Christian because my grandparents were Christians and my great-grandparents were Christians. And so your tie to faith is actually to your family. It's not actually to Jesus. And so Paul is saying, not all of you, but many of you. So notice it's not all, but many of you were not wise. So you didn't have the education. You didn't have the degrees. Why? Because people had to learn trades to survive. They were married at a young age. So not, not, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were educated. Most people were not literate. Most people were not educated to, to the degree that Paul was. Not many were powerful. So not many of you had a high place in social 
status. Not, not many of you were wealthy and successful and powerful and had the clout and the platform. And not many of you came from families that had any of this either. And here's the reality. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but how many people in here, I wonder, are, were valedictorians of their class? How many people in here came from multi-million dollar families, families of success, families of power, great wealth, great clout? How many came from very noble families? And maybe we could say in our culture more than what was in their culture, but I would say probably not all of us came from this. And so what Paul is saying is don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you were. Now that you're in the family of God, now that you're in the kingdom of God, don't forget who you were. Why? Verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Look, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are. What that means is God chose the, the, the invisible, in a sense, people, those that aren't even known in society, to bring to nothing those that are really known. Why? 29. So the note, no human being might boast in the presence of God. God hates pride. God hates boasting when it's in and of ourselves. Did you know that boasting is not bad and we were actually created to boast? We were just created to boast in God and in the glory of God. So what exactly is pride? Pride is independence and pride is rebellion against God. So I, I want to be independent and I want to rebel against God. And we, we would say this, is that it's really easy to see that we're born this way because even my youngest of, of children, those of you guys that are parents who have raised kids, from the earliest onset, from what you can remember about your kids, how long did it take them to say, no, I'll do it myself. I'll do it. Like that's in us. We start saying that from the youngest of age. We want to be independent. We want to do it ourselves. And if you trace the story back in our Bibles to Genesis 3, this is where pride enters the story. Because you see Adam and Eve were in the garden and then they were tempted by the serpent, by the enemy. And what they were tempted to do is this, is, is to be prideful, to boast. How? By saying, you know what? I want what I want. I want to be independent. I don't want to need God. I don't need God. And then I want to do my own thing. And here's the heart of what pride is. That's it. It's being concerned about yourself, getting what you want, and rebelling against what God wants. What does the Bible say about pride? Let me read some verses in about pride and boasting. Proverbs 6, 16-17. There are six things which the Lord hates. Listen to this. Seven which are an abomination to Him. We like to talk about all sorts of stuff inside the church. We should probably read this. Six things the Lord hates, and then there's like a level of seven things in which are an abomination to Him. Guess what the first one is on the list? Haughty eyes. It means eyes that are elevated, eyes that are prideful, eyes that, that are lifted up and look down on one another. Like the one man in the temple who said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector over there. I'm so much better than him. And it's eyes that do that. Whether we know it or not, we do this and we do this Quickly, we can start to look down on one another. Da uh, in, in Psalm 105, uh, 101.5, David, uh, David speaks for God and says, the man of haughty eyes 
looks, the man of haughty looks and arrogant heart, I'm sorry, the man of haughty looks and an arrogant heart I will not endure. That's Psalms. Proverbs 16.5 says this, everyone who is arrogant is abomination to the Lord. Isaiah 2.11 says, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Jesus says in Luke 16.5, what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. It is clear in Scripture that God hates pride. We are called to boast, but we are called to boast in our need and our dependence upon God. Scripture hates this. God hates this. We don't like the word hate. We try to teach our kids like hate is in the Bible. What God hates is pride. Why? What is the result of pride? Division, disunity. And here's the thing. I, I want to make this super clear. I, I got a lot of this from uh, the Biblical Counseling Coalition, okay? And, and so uh, some of this is just not original to me. Is that there, there are two forms of pride. There, are the, there is the person that, that just boasts and talks a lot about themselves, Right? But there's also a silent form of pride. So we can't just say that people that are uh, silent don't struggle with pride. There's two forms. And here's the other type of form. There's this, over, uh, there, there's this boasting. I want to boast and tell you how awesome I am. But the other one is a state of apathy. Where instead of talking about how awesome you are, the only thing you can talk about is still about yourself, but it's just about how bad you stink and you don't have this or I'm not good at this or I'm not good at this. So it's just self-deprecation. At the end of the day, it is still prideful because it is still all about you what you're not getting, what you don't have, what you can't get, and all this. It's still pride. It's just that our society has ranked it as something like you have low self-esteem. No, you're prideful. The only person you think about is yourself. Here's, here's some ways that we can see pride come out. Here's some common phrases. I deserve better. I don't need anyone or anything. I am right. My opinion is better. I am self-made. I have gained success. I don't deserve this. I should be noticed and recognized. Clear signs of someone who is prideful is that they can struggle with apathy. Most time is spent thinking about yourself, what you're getting, not getting, your own needs. They, they are vain, so vanity. They're gossipers, slanderers, and they have an overly competitive nature. All the CrossFitters are like, ooh. Bitterness, conceit, self-pity, and thinking of, uh, and, and part of this self-pity is that, is what you actually want is for everyone to see where you're at and to feel the way that you feel and, and, and you need to be needed by them and you expect people to ride your emotional waves and meet you where you're at. But it's still everything about you and what you're not getting. Other signs. You think your way is better. Married people, let's be honest here. We spend a lot of time trying to, con trying to con convince our spouses that the way that we see and communicate is often better. What are other signs? Such a deep desire to be praised, accepted, and noticed that it can appear, listen here, a shyness when your internal thoughts are far from humble. Sometimes the most prideful people are shy people. How else? You... Pride comes out in defensive reactive behaviors and unwillingness to listen or learn. How else are we pride? 
critical in nature because focusing on the flaws of others protects you from having to see your own flaws. And one big, big, big way is people that struggle with pride will probably boast about the cross, about the gospel, about grace, and about Jesus very little because really they're just pretty awesome. And the, and the last is it's really hard for us to learn from people that are beneath us. That's a good question for you. Is there someone inside of this building? Is there someone inside of your circle of friends, community, whatever it is, that you can't learn from? Because that's pride. Is there someone that you don't see as greater than yourself? Because Paul says in Philippians, that's pride. He says, consider everyone as greater than you. Not some, everyone. Is there someone in some class or some person that's difficult for you to love that you cannot learn from? Because that's pride which comes out in us boasting, sometimes internally, sometimes externally, but not boasting in God and not boasting in Jesus. We just boast in ourselves, what we have, what we don't have. What does Paul say the cure is? Let's look here. Verse 30. And because of Him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that is as written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. What is Paul getting at here? Is this. Maybe some of this hasn't hit home to you because you are of high social class or you are some of these things. Maybe you still don't consider yourself prideful. Let me say this. This is biblical language that actually everyone in this room, regardless of your uh, uh, nobility or, uh, of your family lineage or anything like that, we all started at the same place. Paul says in Romans 5.12 this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, so through Adam's sin, death spread to all men because all sin. So what does that mean? That every single Christian in this room Every single Christian inside of the Christian family and inside of the household all has the same lineage that we are born into. We are born into Adam. That's our family. That's our lineage. We are born into Adam's sin. So we all start with the same need, that we need God's grace to desperately save us. And so what Paul says here in verse 30, and what he's getting at is this, is we have two options right now where we all sit. We can all try to be really humble. We can hang out with humble people. We, we can read books on humility or we can understand this, that we are prideful, that God hates that, and our pride separates us from the love of God. But, verse 30, because of Him, you are in Jesus. What is he saying? Because of grace alone. Because of God's grace on you. Because of God's grace on me. Because God's grace on us. Look at what He's done. Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus. You are not apart from Christ Jesus. You are in Him who became to us, look, wisdom from God. Imagine taking the most wealthy person you know, getting them all dressed up in suits and ties and going with them and taking them in some back alley that's just like infested with, with, with just trash and, and needles and stuff everywhere and then looking at a man hanging on a cross and saying, that is wisdom from God. Someone like that would go, that's crazy. But to those that are in Christ by, by the grace of God, we look at the cross and go, it's beautiful salvation it's wisdom and then who else does christ become to us look here 
Christ becomes to us righteousness. This is good news. Adam's sin was imputed to us, which means that Adam's sin became our sin, and we were given a sin nature. But what happens is on the cross, Jesus takes our prideful, arrogant, selfish ways on himself. And he becomes a sinner. But what he gives to us is his righteousness, his flawlessness, his guiltlessness, his innocence, his purity, his perfection. That's imputed to us. And so did you know that we do not live for the glory of God? Every second of every day, we don't live for God's glory. We are prideful. We live for our own glory. We boast. Jesus is the only one who ever walked the face of this earth that every second of every day, he lived for the sole purpose of God's glory. That's given to you when you put your trust in Jesus. God looks at you then and chooses not to see your sin, but he chooses instead to see the life lived in perfect humility because your life is hidden in Christ. That's yours, the righteousness of Christ. What else is yours? Sanctification. What does that mean? It means holiness. So what becomes yours is wisdom from God. You get righteousness. You, you get to become guiltless before God and innocent. You become holy before God. And then you are the redemption. Redemption is what you have. What does that mean? Rescued. What does Jesus rescue us from? From ourselves and from our desire to try to look the part. And He also rescues us from the wrath of God that we deserve because we've sinned against Him. And so it says, as is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I would say this, the number one way that we respond to pride is through faith in Jesus Christ and in the Gospel. Why? Because faith in Jesus and faith in the cross and faith in the Gospel says, I can't. And that I need Him. There's nothing that I can do to fix the greatest problem that I have. There was nothing that any of us could do to fix the greatest problem that we have. Separation from God because of our pride. So Jesus fixed that. One of the greatest ways that we can counter pride is through faith in everything that Jesus did on our behalf. That He's provided everything. And here's the reality. If you want to look at yourself more, you will become more prideful. But you can't help but looking at Jesus more putting your faith in Him more, talking about Him more, and being less about yourself and more about Him. One, one of my f favorite authors says this, is that true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. That would be apathy. It's not thinking more of yourself. That would just be self, uh, j just outright boasting. It's actually just thinking of yourself less. So, our problem is that we just constantly think about ourselves and what we need and what we're not getting. And, and, and this author would say, true humility is not thinking higher of yourself or less of yourself. It's just actually just thinking about yourself less. So the more we think about Jesus, the less we have to think about ourselves. How do we respond to this news that is made ours through faith? We serve others. We serve others. In humility, we understand life is not all about us. It's actually about Jesus and it's about God's glory. And so we can serve one another. We can love one another. How else? Number two is we can listen and even consider opinions of people that we think are beneath us. Because in all essence, they're not. And then last, I would say, we can pray this prayer. So you guys can close your eyes and pray with me if you would like. You don't have to pray out loud. You can just pray it to yourself. I'll pray slowly. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I struggle with the sin of pride in my heart and life. I am more consumed with what I am getting and not getting than in what Christ has given me.
This pride leads me to act out selfish desires. And it's hurtful to other people. I ask for your help and the help of the Spirit to change my heart so I can become selfless and learn to serve others and consider them before myself. But ultimately, thank you for the forgiveness that is mine through Jesus. Thank you for the righteousness that is mine through Jesus. Thank you for the hiddenness and humility that is mine through the life of Jesus. Thank you for the sanctification and rescuing that is mine in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let my boasting be in you. Amen.